Kim, Ivy, Emery. Better New Year. Better New Year. Hi, Kate. What in the world does that mean? Yeah, tell us more. Well, so far, 2021 hasn't felt happy. So instead of Happy New Year, I'm saying Better New Year. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, Better New Year to you, Kate. And Better New Year to our listeners. It is January 2021. And as we record this, some of us are still in remote learning and some of us are in hybrid learning. The governor of California, where we live and work, has just announced his Safe Schools for All plan with the goal of encouraging more schools to reopen for in-person instruction this school year. That is right. So whether you have been schooling in person or online or hybrid, this episode is for you. We chat with Dr. Molly McCabe, who is an administrator at the Riverside County Office of Education and Instructional Services right here in Southern California. And this is our second episode on Universal Design for Learning. In case you didn't get a chance to listen to our other interview on Universal Design for Learning with Dr. Katie Novak, Universal Design for Learning is a framework to improve and optimize teaching and learning for all learners. And Dr. McCabe is a pro on Universal Design for Learning. Here's a fun fact. She was actually my professor and also my dissertation chair at Pepperdine University. Even more, she has been a mentor and a very good friend. Dr. McCabe shares a ton of information in this episode, so let's get started. Let's do it. I'm ready. Thank you everyone for joining us today. We are excited on CNUSD EdChat because we have Dr. Molly McCabe here with us. She is a longtime friend and learning partner and coach. And um, we're just really excited to have her here to share some of her insight and her expertise. So Dr. McCabe, can you start by by sharing with our listeners some of your background and your experience in education? Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So, well, as I reflected on this, I realized that I have entered year 31 in education. And um, what a blessing. Um, I am so blessed to have been in this profession for decades now. And uh, so I have a very diverse background. I've taught almost every single grade. Um, K through 12. I'm actually have worked in early childhood and I've actually worked in higher ed. So I've had a really um, broad perspective of education and all of the different um, ages and the journey that all of our um, learners go through. Um, I've been a literacy coach, I've been an administrator, and I currently work at the county of- Riverside County Office of Education in instructional services, which I love because I'm all about uh, teaching and learning. I also have the incredible blessing of being the co-lead for the California State Curriculum and Instruction um, Steering Committee for uh, Language Arts, ELA, and ELD. And so that's where I get to work with the many amazing literacy leaders across California. I've really been able to live my passion, and that is ensuring that every student receives an incredible education that allows them to live the life that they want to live. That's really what drives me. And because I believe that education unlocks doors and opportunities, and I want every student to have that. And I don't ever want the educational system 
to be a barrier for our students pursuing their dreams. We wanted and asked you to be here to talk about the topic of UDL, which is Universal Design for Learning. The first time that I even heard of the term UDL was in reading, it's in the framework, the ELA-ELD framework. So in chapter nine, um, it talks about planning and supporting ranges of learners, and it says that UDL is a planning framework that focuses on the varied needs of students. UDL acknowledges the needs of all learners at the point of planning and first teaching, thereby reducing the amount of follow-up and alternative instruction necessary. So that's straight from the framework. So the question that I have for you is, how does this planning framework differ from our traditional way of planning or how we have normally done things? So I love that question. Um, So I just want to start with just kind of a couple of key points about universal design, because UDL is really, it's just a framework or a set of principles that we use when we design learning experiences. Um, It's not another thing, a new initiative, 800 new strategies, right? And the goal of UDL is design learning environments that work for every student or every person, because UDL is not just for the kids, it's also for adults. And so I think some of the key differences is that UDL really, really focuses on anticipating variability and designing for that. So we begin with the premise that every person is different, learns in a different way. So, and we celebrate that. We were excited about the fact that we are all different and bring different strengths. And so we know that we can anticipate it. And so we proactively design for that. So if we know there's going to be differences in how people learn, we think about presenting information in different ways so that everybody can can learn or giving them options for expressing how they learn in different ways or engaging in different ways. And so it's very proactive and preventative. And it really is focused on changing the environment, not the learner. If a learner, and that can be students or adults, it it doesn't matter, what can be different in the environment so that they can be successful, right? And so it always assumes that's in the design. It's about making little changes into the environment, you know, as simple as turning closed captioning on or, you know, giving the information in multiple ways, you know, in print and an image or whatever, but that makes a difference. So it's just like Starbucks. Starbucks assumes we're all different and they are prepared for all of our unique orders. <laughs> oh no, poor Starbucks. You're right. <laughs> oh my goodness. I think the other big difference is that the focus is not just on learning content, but it's also creating expert learners. It's about teaching our learners how to learn helping them have voice in making decisions on their learning, but also coaching them on those decisions and really empowering them to say, what's your goal? How are you going to achieve that goal? What are you going to do? Is that working for you? If it's not working, how might you do it differently? And it's really about empowering the learners and teaching them how to learn. So it goes in tandem with teaching content. So Dr. McCabe, most educational documents, you know, frameworks, practices, uh, pretty much all the things that we look at, you know, they really state that the end outcome is that students are critical thinkers. 
um, or scholars and or, you know, creative problem solvers. You were just talking about expert learner, and that's something that the UDL framework specifically speaks about. Can you go a little bit more in detail about what exactly an expert learner means and looks like? So they actually define expert learners as having three characteristics. Well, it's really six, but that they're purposeful and motivated, resourceful and knowledgeable, and strategic and goal-directed. And so that's actually the um, framework's definition uh-huh. of the skill sets they would have. And it works very well with um, those other skills that um, we are hoping for our students to have. I had the incredible opportunity to visit Dr. Katie Novak's school district last year and see the students in classrooms in a universally designed learning environment. What I noticed and what was most powerful to me in that visit was that what I saw in every classroom was that all of the kids, there was a clear goal. Everybody, it was very clear what the learning goals were. But every student basically kind of had their own goals in that context. And they had a plan for how they were going to achieve it. And they actually had written plans. Like they turned in their goal planning sheets to their teachers. And then um, they were progress monitoring themselves, touching base on how they were doing. And then the teacher was meeting with the students and helping them make decisions about what choices they were gonna make to achieve the goal. And then coaching them on reflection. Like, well, what worked for you? What didn't work? Like for this activity, you decided, because there there were a lot of choice and options in the classroom. They could work by themselves. They could work in a group. They could work in different flexible seating areas. They could use technology. They could not use technology, right? There were a lot of different options for them. And so the teacher was coaching them on what decisions they made. Did that work? Did that not work? You know, what will you try next time? And it was that very intentional development of those skills of learning how they learn. And this is, it was so incredible to me to see this. And I, so I wanna talk about kindergarten because that was one of my most, um, I was most curious about, and it was October. So I just wanna tell you it was October in kindergarten, right? And so I went into a kindergarten classroom and they were working on reading and writing their high frequency words. That was the goal, right? They all, that was what they were working on. And the students that after doing a mini lesson, the um, students then had a choice of different uh, workstations Uh where they could interact with reading and writing their high frequency words. And all of those kindergartners in October (laughs) were able to make a choice about a station, about what they felt was the best way for them that day to practice reading and writing their high frequency words. And if they couldn't make a choice, she had a spinner and they would go up to the spinner and spin it. And if they got a four, they would go to learning station four. Uh And it was really about empowering the kids have proactive ownership of their learning. And it was incredibly powerful. And anyone who's ever taught lower primary um, can can really, I think, grasp the concept of what this looks like for five and six-year-olds to be doing this on their own and making uh, having choices in their learning and how they're going to learn, which is pretty yeah. amazing. Pretty and then amazing. in the upper grades, they use a strategy called scrum boards, which I had never heard of 
which is like a, a wall in their classroom. And each student had like a magnet or a marker. And so the stages of learning were posted in the room. And then the kids were moving their marker as they progressed. They were monitoring themselves on how they were doing on goal achievement. And then the teacher had a visual representation. That's what I noticed the most, that it was really about teaching the learners to be learners. So can you share with us some of the biggest misconceptions or misunderstandings regarding UDL? And in your response, can you help us to better understand the difference between UDL and differentiation? We hear differentiation a lot, and I think we used to hear it a lot more. So can you help us better understand um, how they are different from one another? And then we would love some more classroom examples and non-examples to help us better see this concept um, come to life. I love this question um, because I think there are a lot of misconceptions about UDL, but I think the biggest one is that UDL is an initiative or another thing we have to do. (laughs) And um, it's not really, as I think I said earlier, it's a framework that we use when designing. And there are a set of principles that we use. So it's not like another 8 million things we have to do. It's, It's more about how we think about things. Um, another, I think, big misconception is that UDL is a bunch of new strategies that we have to use. Well, UDL is really not about strategies, even though you are going to use strategies. UDL is really about, like I said earlier, creating expert learners, but also anticipating barriers and trying to remove them. And any strategies that you might use, you probably already know, and you're probably already using some of them. But just because you're using the strategies doesn't mean you're using the framework of UDL, okay? So it's not a bunch of new things. I'm actually gonna give you a non-classroom example of universal design to start with. And I could just give you some classroom ones, but I was uh, really fascinated in watching our most recent elections and how they use the principles of universal design. It was one of the best examples I've ever seen of UDL. So the goal was that all eligible voters have the opportunity to vote. So that's the key thing about UDL. There's a clear, rigorous goal, right? Everybody has the same goal. We don't have different goals for different people. And that's one of the differences between UDL and differentiation. But everybody has the same goal. But there are different pathways to getting to that goal. So when they designed there were all these options, right? So we had a traditional polling place. We had vote by mail. We had uh, voting um, support centers. We had different languages, availability, you know, convenience, um, knowledge. There were so many barriers that they had to remove. And so you could see that groups of people came together and anticipated all those barriers and basically had a plan to remove them. So there was really no excuse for anybody that wanted to vote, to be able to vote. Even if you didn't want to wear a mask, if there was some reason why you couldn't wear masks, they actually had a special location for people that wanted to vote in person. They sent teams into hospitals. You could go out to the parking lot, right? So they had all these different options. So UDL is about a clear goal, flexible pathways. And so I think that's just a perfect example of anticipating and removing. That leads me to what's the difference between UDL and differentiation. So UDL is proactive. It's in advance. I don't need to know who's in the room. 
I mean, it's nice to know, but you don't have to, because there's certain barriers that you can always anticipate. They're common. They never change. So I can design for whoever might show up because you never know if you're going to get a new student, right? So you want to anticipate. You don't, you can't always know who you're designing. That's what UDL focuses on. It's in advance. And it's also about um, the learner's voice and them making decisions. That's a key component. So differentiation is usually done after the fact. And it's usually decided upon by the teacher. I want to work on this with this student or this group of students. And both are important, but they really do have a different purpose. So I think it's important for our listeners to understand that one, they're not synonymous and two, they don't replace each other necessarily. There's a time and a place. And I think I heard it once Katie Novak, when I was watching her speak and we interviewed her for a podcast as well. She said that with, with the intention of UDL, there may be less differentiation that that has to happen, but that by no means means that one replaces the other. Absolutely. It's really, it's about your, your goal and what you're trying to achieve. And I think with differentiation, so just help me understand this. I know we've talked about this before, Molly, because with differentiation, a lot of times, and even in teacher ed programs, you'll see in the template, like specific groups that it'll say like, so here's my lesson plan. How would you differentiate for an English learner? How do you differentiate for um, someone that's on an IEP? But what I heard you say is that you know, the barriers, you don't really need to know who's in your, in the classroom, which is something you don't hear all the time because like, no, no, who's sitting in those desks, right? Like know them up and down, but that's not really what you mean. It's just like, if your goal is for the kids to learn a certain content or skill, what are our typical barriers? Lack of motivation, lack of interest, lack of reading ability, um, you know, some of those prerequisite skills. So how can I then adjust it ahead of time? And then the kids get to choose how they're going to receive that knowledge. Because sometimes I think with differentiation when and, and in teacher ed, when we're preparing our, our new teachers, I almost feel like you're already then like prejudging them. Mm-hmm. Because if because what happens when I'm doing a lesson plan and I'm speaking from, for, I'm not talking about anybody else, but if I'm making a lesson plan, then it says, how do you differentiate for your ELs? You'll say, oh, well, then I'm going to lessen the this. Or they're not going to read this. Maybe it'll be visual when it's, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes then we're perpetuating possibly some inequities that are just because of my own biases of what I think a student with this particular label might be able to do regardless of the content or where they're at. Exactly. You you ha- you hit the nail on the head. That was perfect. Oh. So Yeah. You, you were perfect. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I Go on, Molly. Right? Go on. Just kidding. No, it's okay. Get to her head, Molly. Right okay. now. Okay. Watch out there. <laughs> but I okay. think, you know, and it's also because in differentiation, we are making the decision, right? right? But if the student is making the decision about what they need, you know, a high achieving student might choose to turn on the audio feature mm-hmm. when reading. I do it all the time, right? <laughs> right. I, I'm an extremely proficient reader, right? Right. But when I'm reading difficult informational text, the best strategy for me is to read and listen at the same time. So if that's an option that's available, that's maybe an option for a student that might be, you know, needing some more support with reading. 
um, or maybe a student acquiring multiple languages or additional languages, right? But it's also going to help me as well. So I make that decision purposefully. And that's where it becomes being about an expert learner. Well, so we've been talking about UDL in not an isolated context, but trying to understand, you know, what it is and what it is not. Currently, we it is 2020 still, and we are in the middle of a pandemic. And, you know, in California, we have our stay-at-home order currently. So most teachers in California are teaching, you know, com- in a completely virtual platform. And some districts like ours, um, we are at least at the elementary level where um, students will be returning soon. And so we're moving to that hybrid model. Mm-hmm. So in your experience, how can UDL help us plan in, in this environment? Well, I think UDL is more important than ever <laughs> because we have a lot of barriers that we're handling, right? Right. So yeah. technology, access to technology, access to internet, right? You know, devices, um, lack of knowledge of technology, potentially, right? Engagement, <laughs> right? They're having to learn in a way that's unfamiliar to them. Right, so yeah. they may may not learn um, in the same way that they did in a face to face classroom. So we have a lot of barriers to remove, and I actually, as an educational community, we have been tackling those barriers one at a time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we've already been using some of the principles, even if we didn't know it was called UDL. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so we've been doing that. So um, I think the most important thing, though, I think we need to think about in this time is asking our learners and our families, what's not working for you? Because I think that's one of the most important elements of universal design is feedback, not just to our learners, but also to us. Uh So but and that can be also observing what's working, what's not working. And as soon as I see something that's not working, then I want to think about, oh, how might I change the environment or change what we're doing a little bit? And it doesn't have to be a gigantic change. It can be one little tweak. Um, So there's not one right way to use the framework. It really is kind of how we approach what we're doing and always watching and what's working, what's not working and asking our learners. Right. So if they yeah. say, you know what, it's too much for me to get all those assignments on one day, I'm, ma- I'm struggling with managing my turning in my work. Right. So why? What's going on? Well, my time doesn't permit, you know, I'm busy, you know, I have internet issues. So maybe we create different options for when students work or how we work, they work, or we chunk the assignments into smaller tasks. Or maybe it's they don't even understand really what's expected. So maybe we give them exemplars or models or rubrics, right? Um, That can be really helpful to them. Maybe they're not really even clear on the goal. What am I trying to do and learn? So they're not even engaging with it because they don't understand why it's important. Um, or maybe like, that's not a text I can connect with. You know, I, I am a, you know, a newcomer and I'm, I'm struggling with reading a text in English. Maybe we can give them a text in their first language to practice because the standard doesn't say what text they have to read. So I think we need to be really clear on what our goal is. And the goal is not an assignment. The goal is a learning, a learning yeah. goal. 
what is it we want the students to be able to learn and be able to do? And then, and try to think about the various barriers and make small changes. But I think another thing is really, if it's new to you, beginning that work around expert learners trying to meet either individually or in small group with learners, however that's possible. And I know that's really hard, it's secondary when you have you know, 200 students, um, but even if it's once a trimester or a quarter, right? And touching base, what are you working on? What are your goals? What are your strengths? What are your kind of opportunities? What's gonna help you do that? And I think making that personal connection um, aspect of UDL really will help in terms of relationships and engagement as well. I call it, instead of remote learning, pandemic learning. That helps me really have a frame of mind of what our students or families are dealing with. And we're all trying to get it right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some anxiety that comes for teachers, administrators, central office, for all educators. Are we getting it right? Are our students really getting what we needed? And because it's new, I feel like we don't have the answers. So my question is, what should educators be prioritizing in remote learning? And then there are many students in California who are back in school. I know our district, um, some of our students are going back to school. What should we prioritize in hybrid learning? I think the first thing that we have to prioritize is connectedness and community. All learning is rooted in relationships and emotion. And we need to understand that. Our students, our learners don't feel connected. They're not going to learn. If they don't feel safe in learning with you, they're not going to learn. Um, if we have not helped develop their um, uh, emotions and connected with emotions, they're not going to learn. So I think that we need to start there. And that's true face-to-face, -face, remote, hybrid, whatever you call it. Pandemic learning, it, it doesn't really matter. I think um, because we have less time, our variability is increased, right? Lots of different environments um, and experiences our learners are having. I think being really clear on the goal and probably doing less is more is better, right? Um, but being really clear, but don't make assumptions about our learners. Don't make assumptions they know how to do it, that they understand what you want, um, that they're going to do it in a way you think they're going to wanna to do it. And also don't make assumptions about our families and learn and listen. I think the most, one of the most important things is what I was talking about earlier with student voice and asking. So you're right, I don't think any of us have this mastered, <laughs> but I think the critical practice is asking, listening and learning and improving. And so we may not be perfect today, but we need to engage in improvement ourselves and constantly be saying, okay, what's not working? How can I tweak that? What's not working for my learners? How can I change that? And engaging in continuous improvement. So I, I think another thing, key thing is feedback in both ways, right? Feedback that we receive, but also feedback to our students. If students don't feel that you're engaging in the work they're doing and looking at it and monitoring it and giving high quality feedback and helping them learn and grow, they're going to be less engaged with it. <laughs> and then obviously communication and relationships with families and students and then flexibility right we have to plan for flexibility not everyone can you know go to school between eight and three not everybody has internet connection then not everybody has 
the technology working, right? We have to design with flexibility in mind. So recently I've returned to the classroom after six years, what a year to return to the classroom. And as we are thinking about going back to school into the school building, um, I'm actually more afraid of returning to what wasn't working before the pandemic, how schooling was not serving all of our students, some of the focus more on compliance rather than um, what students really need. I'm worried more about returning to the old what's not working ways than actually the COVID. So my question is, what changes do you hope to see to schooling once the pandemic is over? How can we reset schooling and education? Well, I hope we learn from this. I think this has been a year of incredible learning. You know, I also recognize it's also makes it a year of incredible stress. Um, but we also have learned a lot. Like, I can't believe how much I've learned. <laughs> and I know that's true for every educator that I've spoken with. So I think we always want to take the best from things and transfer it to our new context. So I think one of the things that we've learned is that technology can be an amazing tool in used purposefully and intentionally and in an engaging way. So I hope we bring that back in. So really um, this concept of synchronous and asynchronous is not a pandemic model. It's really something that is a model that we wanna be thinking about face-to-face -face as well. So that students are working on things with us in large group or small group or individually, however that is, but then also they're engaging and deepening their learning asynchronously without us. So, but that intentional design, I think is really purposeful and we can really use technology tools to leverage that. So I think that's important. Uh, positive from this pandemic situation, I've heard from many educators, is that the relationships and partnerships with families have really increased. And I think we need to keep that. <laughs> our families are, um, are our partners. And that communication and that regular connection with them, um, I think is really, really important. And being available to connect with them uh, when they have questions and have needs. So I, I want to see that continuing. And that we, I think we've learned a lot about our students. We have a window into their homes. And I think, um, I think many people have shared with me that they've been very surprised at the environment. Some of their, their students um, are um, experiencing. And so I think it helps us to learn to not make assumptions about our students and learners and families. We've all been trying to remove barriers this year. That's what this whole year has been about. I hope that we all continue to use that mindset and use the UDL principles to continually thinking about um, ensuring an environment that works for all. I hear a lot of things about engagement and student engagement or lack of student engagement. Um, and I, so I hope we um, can learn what engages our learners and then bring that into our face-to-face -face classrooms or hybrid. It doesn't matter. I think that's the question. My, one of my favorite quotes of all time, it comes from Zaretta Hammond, is that only the learner can learn. And the learner has to be engaged in the learning. And I love that connection, um, or, or not even necessarily connection, but just really calling out the the family school connection and relationship. That is something that I think we have been um, 
shall I say forced for lack of a better word to to really, really tap into because we have to make those connections. And I think that there are so many opportunities to kind of veer away from that in the school setting that once was. So thank you for for highlighting that because I don't think that that's something that has been highlighted while we're in this pandemic, those opportunities to really strengthen relationships with our families. With with that said, we know that you do um, some work with the California Department of Education. And you have to correct me if I'm stating this incorrectly, but we know that you're the co-lead for the English Language Arts English Language Development Committee. We were hoping that you could share um, with us and our listeners some of the resources and or recommendations that the state is offering educators while teaching during a pandemic um, and also for when we eventually return in person to campus. The ELA ELD framework. And, you know, it's a quite lengthy document. (laughs) (laughs) So because of that, most of us have not read the entire thing. And that's okay. I don't think it's designed to be um, read entirely, except for people like myself. (laughs) 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 I I am one of those. Um, (laughs) I've read it multiple times. But I just want to remind people that there's incredible resources in there in terms of best practices, strategies, lesson samples, vignettes. Yes. It's like, it's so descriptive. And I think we forget to look at it sometimes, right? And so I, I every once in a while, I'm like, you know, I should go look at the framework and see if they have anything in there. And then we also tend to only look at the framework from our grade span. The CDE has a really amazing website, and I'll, I'll give you these links so you can put them in your uh, uh, notes for the podcast. But they have a bunch of uh, resources for ELA and ELD, and uh, they've also done a whole bunch of webinars. But we also have a, a lot of other companies or organizations like Californians Together and Kabe. They have a plethora of webinars that have been done on supporting our English learners um, that have been really helpful. And I really love the ones that are teachers um, in the classroom, like Voices in the Field, and sharing how they're doing that. So those have been amazing. Um, in January, so um, 2021, uh, they are going to be releasing a set of integrated and designated ELD videos. These are brand new, hot, hot off the press, and they are videos of examples of that being implemented in classrooms. So that will be a really, really nice resource. Um, at RCOE, we actually have a remote learning um, webpage, and there's information for all the content areas. But specifically in ELA, ELD, we put some of our best resources. But we also, um, back at the beginning of the year, made some sample lessons that show the integration of SEL, ELA, ELD. Um, People found those really, really helpful. Um, And then you can take the slide decks and modify them if you need some slide decks. Lastly, there's a Padlet that our um, state committee has put together with a bunch of uh, resources. So the most recent resource, which I'll highlight, is one on reading foundations. And so we have created a slide deck with interactive activities for each of the sound spelling cards. Vowels only, not the consonants, but all the vowels. Because you know, many students um, when they're learning to read have um, uh, struggled with the vowels, especially you know the more complex vowel patterns. And so in there, there's a slide deck with all sorts of um, blending. So it's not designed to replace what you're doing in uh, benchmark or your instructional program, but it's more designed if I have a student that hasn't mastered OA, Uh (laughs) right? 
then I can pull out that slide deck and there's a bunch of activities. So there's blending and dictation, there's videos, there's um, games, there's spinners, there's all sorts of ways that kids can practice. So that's a really, really helpful resource that people love. Um, there's also some great resources on ELD and coming soon, three new resources for newcomers. Um, the first resource is ready to go and launch. It's really on partnerships between uh, the paraprofessionals and the teachers and um, really how to work closely together as a team to support your newcomers. So that one's ready to, to go. And then there'll be some other ones as well. And there's a whole collection of resources on social emotional learning and building oral language lesson planning and actually best practices and assessment. And listeners, you just hit the mother load. So make sure you look for all of these links. <laughs> That's right. So, well, speaking of resources, let's just keep it on going. So if someone out there wanted to learn more about UDL, where could you direct them to start or what are some resources that you know of that you'd like to share? Great. So, well, you can obviously just do a Google search and there's, you know, 8 million resources on UDL. But um, again, hot off the press, it will be launched in January. It's in the production phase right now. I have just uh, redesigned our MTSS webpage, but I have made a very extensive UDL set of pages. We'll have a set of videos, um, short videos on Kate, from Katie Novak um, talking about um, different important concepts of UDL. Um, I personally have made the top 10 things you need to know about UDL video that will be on there. For those of you that are familiar with the UDL framework, there's basically nine boxes, right? You know, three columns, three rows. Um, we're designing our page so that if I click on one of the boxes, I'll say like executive function, that's one of the guidelines, then if you, it will take you to a subpage and then it will be a whole different a list of different practices you can do to support um, students' development of executive function. And then each of those links connect to a web page that describe the practice or give you a video or a resource. So it's going to kind of be a live interactive version of the UDL framework. So I'm hoping it will be a really, really helpful resource for all of the educators in our county. Yeah, that sounds super exciting. So we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, Dr. McCabe, we are coming to the end of our interview and we ask um, all of our guests the same ending question. So uh, we have a segment called Tomorrow, This Week, This Month. With so many changes occurring in 21st century education and learning, what advice can you give to organizations, teachers, or families to try tomorrow, to try this week, and to try this month? I think I have three recommendations. So the first one is, as I said earlier, ask your students and families what's working and not working and learn. I, I think just being a listener and an observer and responding to that, we can do tomorrow. I think the second thing is start small. UDL is not about blowing everything up. It's about removing one barrier at a time. <laughs> so select one or two barriers that you're noticing something that's not working for your learners and make a tweak and it, gradually over time you know you'll you'll keep removing more and more barriers for your learners and then finally just remember it's all about relationships and connectedness really have that focus on the relationship but then using that to develop your student skills as expert learners and I think those are all three things I can do tomorrow just in my intentionality. It doesn't require me to change everything that I'm doing, 
but having that lens on uh, your work, I think can make a huge difference for all of our learners. So we just want to thank you for joining us and the team here. Thank you for all the contributions, all the work, and truly just modeling what it is to be a lifelong learner. I just, every time I have a conversation with you or we attend a training, you are just the epitome of like what it looks like to constantly be refining and admitting that I can learn something or this is what I try different or, um, and I just think, you know, all of us in education need those role models. So thank you for being one of ours. And thank you for inviting me. It was a a blast to have a chat with you guys. Uh, Amazing educators that I love working with. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to do that. So thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to another episode of CNUSD EdChat. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at CNUSD EdChat. And there you can find links to our show notes page or go directly to www.cnusd.k12.ca.us slash EdChat. If you are interested in learning more about Universal Design for Learning, We recommend you listen or re-listen to our interview with Dr. Kitty Novak in our episode titled, The Time is Right for UDL Now, Season 4, Episode 4. You'll find that episode and all of our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or you can even Google it, CNUSD EdChat. This episode was written and produced by Anne-Marie Cortez, Kate Jackson, Dr. Ivy Yule Eldridge, and me, Kim Kemmer, and was edited by Ken Pucci. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for listening. Better New Year. Bye. Better New Year. Thank you.